Welcome to Tips from the Server Room. This podcast is designed for all you systems admins, network specialists, or the guys and gals out there in the office who handles it all. Sit back, relax, grab a beverage, and enjoy Tips from the Server Room. Hey folks, yes, and welcome back once again to Tips from the Server Room. This is episode number 153 for February the 29th, 2020. I'm your host, Jack. I'm going to be guiding you into, through, and back out of the worlds of systems administration, network administrations, and all fields of IT. Once again, if you have time, please check out my website at tipsfromtheserverroom.com where you can comment on these shows, and I hope that you do so. You can also uh, go to jackstechcorner.com, where I've been doing more and more writing lately. Uh, I have a lot of great topics on there, uh, stuff that I'm working on at work, um, stuff that I come across during the day. I mean, it could be any sort of topic. It's always, uh, well, let's say it's 98% anymore computer-related. At one time, a long time ago, there was some photography stuff in there, but now it's more computer and server-based related and and how to get things done. So check that out at jackstechcorner.com and sign up on there because when I put a new post out, uh, it's really nice because I have this this alerting system where you actually get an email uh, with a link to the post, and it works really, really great. Uh, I've been really happy with it. So sign up. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything, and I'll never sell or distribute your uh, email addresses. I just I don't do that, and uh, I won't let anybody else uh, have your email address. If you want to learn the very best of Server 2012, Windows Server 2012, check out jtclearning.com. That's jtclearning.com. You can sign up and start learning today. Folks, so what has been happening around here? <laughs> I looked this morning, my last show was in December, and I was thinking, oh my goodness. I've been getting some amazing emails from everybody out there, and I truly appreciate this. It says, you know, Jack, where have you been lately? What have you been up to? Are you okay? Uh, my health is doing absolutely perfect, uh, so everything is going good there. And I do appreciate, I really appreciate all of the uh, people reaching out there. I, I really enjoy that hearing from you, and, and that's a big part of this show. I think that's a part of this show where it goes up and down. Uh, not only time, but if I don't hear anything back from people, I don't think I'm reaching anybody with these with these podcasts, and it just feels like I'm sitting here talking to myself. I can use the time you know, better somewhere else doing something else, but it has been uh, amazing hearing from everybody out there and uh, you know, just getting the feedback that you enjoy the the real life scenarios that I put you into, and uh, based on what I do every day and, and how my days run, and it has been really, it's been twofold. It's been a great learning experience lately, and it's also been uh, just an amazing uh, a journey of of what I've been putting my my head and my knowledge through, and learning new stuff. And we're going to be talking about that here in a little bit. First, I did want to say, uh, if I didn't say it already, I guess I'm looking at my notes here, is Happy New Year to everybody, um, and always thanks for tuning into the shows. I put in the notes, I actually probably even did cut back on the shows over the holidays, but 
I mean, come on. This is February. Today's February, today's February 29th. We're almost into March, and I haven't produced a show this year. And I'm really sorry about that because I know a lot of you look forward to these as much as I look forward to uh, Windows Weekly each week. Uh, I, I look forward to Windows Weekly. And Thursday before I'm leaving the house to go to work, I told my wife, I said, oh, it's crazy. It's Thursday. She goes, what's so important about Thursday? And I'm, and I'm downloading the new Windows Weekly podcast uh, to listen to it in my car. So I know you depend on hearing certain shows. And thanks for uh, still pulling these down with your podcatcher. I do appreciate that. We talked a little bit here not too long ago about moving offices in a past show. Uh, we are moving. That is a guaranteed. Uh, it is happening. Uh, all the offices will be fully moved. Uh, we have to be out of the current location by uh, the last day of April. So starting this week, actually, this, this podcast is actually really dating itself pretty, uh, um, pretty whatever. It's, it's on time because starting this week on Wednesday, I'm going up and they're putting the fiber optic runs in. And if you've ever done that before, what I'm basically doing is I'm going to have an external switch closet. And I'm having a six-strand. So six-strand will give you actually three connectors, right? Because you need two strands. You need a receive, a transmit, and a receive for fiber optics. So I'm going to have a six-strand put in, and we're running that down to our downstairs offices, and that's where the server room is going to be. I'm going to put <clears> – there's a server rack in there now, and I'm moving the server rack that we have into that location. I'm planning on taking pictures of this move as I as I do this, so I'll at least have some still pictures for you. I don't know or I don't think that maybe I'll do any video uh, footage because it is our business, but I'll try to get some nice still pictures of what's going on and how I'm setting this up. So, But instead of having two server rooms, I decided to put, like I said, both the server racks in one room. And a lot of you out there are already shaking your head and you're thinking that's because I told my boss, I said, what I'm thinking is, and what I'm the most worried about is uh, the extra heat that we're putting into that room that we're introducing with another server rack. And, you know, we're kind of toying around with how we're going to, uh, you know, disband that heat out of there. I got some ideas. But in the time being, I think when I first put the new server rack in there, I am going to uh, buy uh, a device. Uh, what's it called? An environmental monitoring device. You can find them on Amazon. Really inexpensive. I was shocked how cheap those things really are. And uh, again, if you if you do use Amazon to buy these, go to Tips in the Server Room first, and click on the uh, Amazon link, and then go to Amazon and purchase it. Uh, since I gave you the idea, it, it just it helps to show out a little bit. Gives us a little bit of money back from Amazon to uh, to buy new products. And I have a lot of stuff coming up that I got to purchase. Uh, for not just for the shows, I think maybe even to, to work with to talk about on these shows, and I have a lot of plans for that. So, so yeah, so we're, I'm going to put an environmental monitoring system in uh, to monitor. It will monitor for the uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry temperature, uh, humidity, uh, and uh, water. Uh, I think those are the three big things I'm worried about. So I'll be able to watch that in the room. And have that going over the internet to, to my phone or wherever else. I mean, I can set that up very easily through the firewall. So that's going to be a piece of cake. The next thing I'm working on is I'm planning upgrading the wireless uh, in both of the locations. Downstairs right now, they're using one. I can't remember the name of it. Um, 
for life of me, I can't remember. I'm sure I got a picture of it somewhere, but and they put these things in probably I don't know five years ago. And I said, look, wireless is better today than it was five years ago, and uh, it's just it, that's just a simple case. It's just better. So why don't we upgrade the wireless from doing this in both locations? So what I started to buy right now, right now we have a residential Linksys router that somebody put in the office I work at now. Uh, and remember, I got hired there not that long ago. About I've only been there for maybe at this point, like uh, eleven months, ten months, ten months. Let's let's give it ten months. And uh, it's it's kind of funny because I'm still. Still trying to rebuild what was put in there. And a lot of people like to put things in on the cheap. I want to put something in uh, that is not overly priced, but kind of mid-level. So I chose to buy the Ubiquity. 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 It's U-B-U-Q-U-I-T-I. And I purchased these on Amazon. The ones I finally chose they're ninety, like ninety four dollars for an access point. So originally I bought four, and after going up there a few times looking around, I'm going to buy two more. I'm going to put three on the top floor, and three on the bottom floor. Now, why is uh, Ubiquity better than uh, the Linksys? Well, basically because it's one, it's cloud controlled. I love cloud controlled anything these days. Because if I'm at home, if I'm working from home, they have trouble with the wireless, I can pop onto it on a web page and I can see what's going on and I can reboot an access point if I have to or do whatever I need to do. And I just think that is a huge, uh, a very huge positive uh, step. So that is one thing I'm looking into uh, is changing, like I said, all the wireless out. So I'll be starting to do that probably within the next, uh, probably the next two weeks, I would think. Now, you might be asking um, if I'm going to be using the Ubiquity switching. And I've looked at that a little bit, and I just haven't decided yet if that's what I'm going to do. I would like to hear from you out there, though, uh, listening to the show. If you use Ubiquity, um, what do you feel about their switches? You know, uh, any of their other networking gear? But uh, their wireless stuff is is pretty amazing i've been really excited about it and also when you use a controller on your wireless i can create uh, a couple ssids one will be for guest access because we occasionally have clients come into the office and uh we're going to um i think we're going to be able to uh, provide uh, them with guest access and keeping them off our network also we're going to be uh providing regular you know like i said ssid for the network what i like about it is if you take your laptop from the upstairs office to the downstairs office then you don't have to jump onto another wireless pick up another ssid connect to another network your laptop will simply just see it as one solid network over the six access points or 20 or in the school districts we would have Man, it was nothing for me to have 200 access points throughout the school district, and they all acted as one SSID. So those always worked really, really well. Um, I didn't use Ubiquity in schools. Uh, the last school district I worked at, we used Extreme Networking Gear. Uh, the school district that I built uh, it took me 13 years to build. 
that particular school district, I put the Cisco gear in. And uh, we just had the budget to support it. So I got some really good deals on the Cisco equipment. So I put Cisco wireless wireless in uh, throughout that school district. And uh, had over, probably had about 200 access points in there also. So it works really good. Uh, Ubiquity is nice, I think, for smaller offices. I don't know how well to work in a bigger set. I would imagine it would be fine. Uh, But that's something you'd have to play with. Like I said, we're working with six access points. So at this point. All right, so that's covering that. Um, PoE switches. So if you have PoE switches, we know you can plug them directly in. You don't need the PoE injector. Oh, okay, that's for the uh, Ubiquity uh, access points. They all come prepackaged, and I thought this was really cool too. I don't mean to beat you know the dead horse out there, but what was really, really nice about it was they all come with the, the PoE injector in case you need it. So you can run your network cable back to your rack, uh, plug these PoE injectors in, plug them in a, you know, a, a backed up, uh, an APC backed up uh, power strip, and you can light all these things up really easy. Or you can simply use a PoE switch, and uh, if you use the PoE switch, then you can actually use that and be able to, um, again, uh, put power to these access points. So it works really nice. And even if right now we looked at a lot of IP-based phones, I would say if you have IP-based phones, you should have PoE switches anyway. And the reason I always make that statement is because then I could plug a phone in anywhere in my network and know that I have power to it. I don't have to worry about like this switch has this, this switch has this. So it just works out better for me to make sure all my switches are PoE. Uh, Take that hit, spend a little bit extra money. Um, Now, if it's just for access points and you have six, I don't really need it for six access points. But if we're going to have IP phones in there, then yes, you do want PoE switches all over the place. I had something in there. Oh, yeah, they also have a software that you can put on Windows, a Mac, and a Linux box if you have it sitting around. And that is to build the controller. So I put it actually on one of our Windows servers, and it it works extremely well. It's very easy to use. You know, you go into uh, your web browser, point to that local IP address. Boom, you're on the controller. You can control everything on your network. Uh, But there's also a cloud-based controller that you log into, set up a free account, and actually link your indoor controller to that controller so you can access it from anywhere. And it works extremely well. All right, now we're going to get into talking to you and bring you up to date about this past two weeks. So the past two weeks, we have been hitting more and more stuff in our network and on our servers uh, than I have ever experienced before. Things that I have to know, things I have to do, and it just made me dig deep, dig hard, and start learning some new things. Now, what did I have to learn? Well, the first thing I was learning was uh, Python. Python programming language has just taken hold of me somehow and saying, look, you got to know this Python programming. And, uh, you know, but you also have to enjoy it. That's one thing. But if you're in the technology field, and I know most of you out there that listen to these podcasts, listen up and pick up a programming language. You don't have to be proficient with it, but be able to understand it and use it to write little scripts. Scripts are huge in our business. A script will save you hours of time uh, trying to do a simple task that you do over and over and over. Uh, 
Now, Python is really good for that, and it does a lot of the scripting stuff. But what I did the other day was I have a um, – well, let's uh, – we'll back up here. So we have uh, a Windows server that we have folders on that everybody accesses, I told you before, on our network. And these folders are for everything that the company does. All of our company uh, transactions, we have, uh, you know, Word documents in there, Excel documents, PowerPoint database programs we have. So all this stuff is in there, and everybody has to access that. Well, we have a sales team that the sales team actually uh, writes these folders when they when they sell a, a new uh, project out to a client. All right? So they build all these folders. And I thought, wait a minute. Now, I'm pretty good with PHP. I'm probably not as good as most of you out there with it. But, you know, I'm pretty good with PHP. Pretty pretty easy. I can get around it, and I can write some stuff that I want. So I created a web page uh, on our intranet site. Remember, we've talked about that before. We have this big uh, internal uh, MySQL database. Actually, it's running, um, uh, what's the name of that program? Uh, Myra. Myra DB. Is that the name, how you pronounce it? So we have this database that we run, and we run PHP pages on top of that, and that is our intranet. It runs the whole company. So I went in, I found a header and a footer, because another guy wrote this thing years ago, and I made my page look exactly like his. It fits in. It, it has to have the uh, authentication to be authenticated to get to it. And what I wanted this page to do was simply... When a project uh, sales guy sells a new project, instead of going in and manually creating folders on a server, he goes through a web page. He picks the date. He gives it a project number, types the name in, hits submit. And what that does at that point is it's linked to my Linux server, and the Linux server is mounted to those Windows shares. So he's making it on the Linux server, but it's immediately processed and mounted and and built on the on the Windows server. So on the Windows share. Now, if it sounds like it would take a lot of time, there's no time. It doesn't take any time at all to do that. Uh, it's very fluent. It works very quickly. And, uh, it, you know, it's perfect. Now, you might say, well, Jack, why in the world did you go through all that? Well, the internet pages run on top of a Linux box. So on that Linux box, is where I'm talking to it. Instead of trying to talk back to the Windows server, which you may know a better way to do that, I was able to talk directly to the Linux box, mount those drives or mount those folders back to the Windows box, and it works. So anyway, he runs in two days ago. No, it wasn't. I'm sorry. It was Monday because today is actually Saturday. So he runs back into my office. Monday says, oh, my God, Jack, I did all that stuff. I put it in. I hit submit. It told me it built up because... I didn't write any error-catching code in there. Okay, my fault. But what I did write in there was it comes back and it brings up a page and it shows them all the folders they built. All right, great. It looks really nice. It's very clean. But it didn't create the folders. So, okay. So I jumped on the Linux server and I checked. Well, yeah, the mounting was not there. Now, if you've ever did mounting with a Linux server, use something called the FS tab right it's a it's a file uh it, it's a think of it as a, a mounting configuration file when the computer reboots when that linux server reboots if it's in the fs tab file it will see that and it will automatically remount those drives but sometimes on that box i don't know why they will come unmounted 
and they won't be there. And there's no indication for us to know why or if they did or what's going on. So I thought, okay, well, instead of me doing all these commands, which, you know, there's like the mount command, you have to change directories, go to the mount folder, open, you know, do an ls, look in the mount folder to see if your shares are there, you know, your mounting directories are there. So instead of doing that, I thought, wait a minute, I need to learn how to write bash scripting. Because bash, if I'm going, I have six Linux servers, I have to really know how to work with these Linux servers. I think that's very huge. So I, I sat back one day and I started writing bash uh, shell scripting. Uh, it's not really, really hard. I would probably put it up there with writing uh, batch files for Windows. You just have to know a few different commands. You have to put your you know, directory path, your slashes the other way instead of the other way for Windows. You know how all that goes. And I was able to write a little shell script that I just type in uh, map.sh, right? Well, you know, when you run a shell script on Linux, if you've never done so, you have to put period and you put a, uh, a forward slash, period forward slash, and then I typed in uh, mount.sh or whatever I call this little script file. Right then it comes back, it checks the mount for me and it comes back and says either yes or no. Okay. So at least then I know right away I don't have to go through all that searching to find it. I just type that little command in. Yes, it's still mounted or no, it's not mounted. All right. So anyway, I wrote that after the fact because it actually was not mounted. So what I started doing then was I got into, I told you, writing Python, and I was like, huh, Python's a pretty good programming language. So I was playing around thinking, can I write a little Windows-based program in Python um, using, for lack of better terminology, Tinker, I think it's called. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a a library for Python that allows you to build a Windows interface, basically. So you can make it a standalone program for Windows. Now, could I wrote this in Visual Studio? Yes. Why didn't I? Because I couldn't find or couldn't figure out where to get the TCP IP stack. I did it decades ago, and it's like it was bothering me. And But Python is so much faster, uh, not for building interfaces, but it is a lot faster for uh, writing the code out and just typing the code. You can reuse it. You know how that works. So anyway, I wrote this little Windows interface to check that, and now you bring it up. You click a button. It says, yeah. Yeah, it's connected, or no, it's not connected. Because what it's doing is, I wrote a Python program that runs that little script that I wrote on the Linux server, and it kicks back the results uh, in a JSON format, and, and it gives me that display back. So, okay, that works. But it wasn't good enough. So, uh, you guys like real-world stories. This is a real world. This is, this is my past two weeks I've been working. Uh, so... Thursday, I had a bright idea was, wait a minute, I designed that web page for them to put that in there. I have to tell them on that web page, either those drives are mounted and ready to go, or they're not. They got to contact me so I can remount those drives. So I went back and I thought, okay, well, if I could take my Python script, right? You can put Python on a web page. It will make the call back to the server and it will display the messages that I can use my Python scripting that I wrote and incorporate in that PHP page and it would be perfect. Well, that wasn't good enough. I sat back and I started looking. I thought, wait a minute, Jack, why can't, there has to be a way to do it just in PHP. Can Is there a PHP call that I can find that I can use PHP 
and I can simply put it in there and put it together with PHP and callback. And a lot of you guys are shaking your head like, absolutely, Jack. You know, you're you're not the smartest guy in the world. You should have known that. And remember, all these different programming languages, folks, I didn't go to computer science school to learn these things. I learned these things on the fly when I need them. So, And I started with Visual Basic 1.0 decades ago. I uh, just picked it up. I actually had a, I had an old uh, co-worker that I worked with uh, years ago when I owned my own internet service, and we'd sit up all night long. Uh, back then, I smoked. We'd sit up all night long smoking cigarettes and coding. Uh, we looked like a, a scene from today's Hackers or something. So, But uh, what's really funny is, you know, programming languages aren't that hard or aren't that far from each other. I mean, when you get into some things like C Sharp, uh, you know, I've started doing some programming with um, Xcode on the Mac. Some of that with the C programming, C Sharp, C++ is a little different. But syntax is syntax. You have to know the coding syntax, and then you have to know how to ask it what you want it to do, and then you have to know how to take what you wanted it to do and display that somehow on the screen. So, it's nice to be able to learn these coding languages on the fly because this past week I have uh, Perl and Python, um, and I've been running that through uh, Sublime Text. And then I just found today that Sublime Text doesn't let you do inputs. So if you write an input string where you're going to ask somebody for something, a name or a date, or and you hit Enter, Sublime Text will not feed that into that input uh, variable. So then... <laughs> So now I'm programming back in uh, Visual Studio Code, VS Code, which is free. And some guys on the internet the other day, I was reading something that said, if you're programming in VS Code, you're not a real programmer. People, let me tell you something. I've programmed in Notepad years ago. So don't tell me that. Uh, and, I, and I'm not. I am not a certified. I'm not whatever you mean by real programmer. But I am a technology guy that will take a programming language beat it up, knock it around, and figure out how I can use it to my advantage to do what I need to do. So anyway, back to the PHP. So the PHP scripting, I sat down, I got my bag of sunflower seeds out, and I said, let's go to work. And I started digging. Sure enough, I found the call I needed. I found a way to print it, you know, echo it back to the screen with PHP code. So I'm echoing it back. I formatted that string. So now it just simply comes up and says, uh, you know, it, it just says, what does it say? Uh, oh, um, network drives are available. Uh, enter your project. And if it doesn't see it, if it, if it's not mapped, it will check it and it will say, uh, in big, bold red letters, network drives are not mapped, contact tech support. So I did it. I was able to put it all together, uh, and it works flawlessly. So what's my next step for that project? Do you think, um, probably a button they can click on and it will actually remap the drive so and i bet you i can make that call too because if it's going to check it it has to be able to re has to be able to run that and the php pages are on the linux server so i should be able to do a, a an execute a command execute on my php and fire that right back off and and be able to remap that drive from the php page i don't think it's going to be that hard to do so all right, folks, that was a lot to get through. I'm glad you're really enjoying these shows. Uh, you know, the few of you out there that's actually talked to me about these. But this is real-world stuff. Um, 
And if you've never, ever, ever written a line of code in your life, start doing little stuff like, uh, you know, batch programming, batch files. I used to write, I still have tons and tons of batch files laying around that I, you know, use every now and then or use them as logon scripts or, uh, you know, and a big thing now is learning to do some PowerShell. If you do a lot of Windows, you know, learn some PowerShell. I've been doing some PowerShell scripting. Not real heavy, not as heavy as what I've kind of jumped into the whole uh, Python ring, but... Um, and I'll tell you more of a story next week uh, about another uh, work-related topic that we have, and it's concerning and, and working around a little bit of uh, Perl language, the Perl language, and understanding that. I think the big thing with any of these languages, folks, is being able to actually read them and understand what each of the step of the process is doing. Python is pretty straightforward because Python, uh, when the code executes, executes, it executes from the top down. And the only variation I found to that is when you write, I'm going to bring up this Python code right here because uh, I wrote this, uh, let's see, uh, except when you write what's called a, a function, right? So... Uh, define so def space and then it's called mount underscore function and I'm calling a function from the socket and the socket actually allows me to go out and make that connection to my Linux server uh, like an SSH session and that's how I get into the Linux server now this one I wrote remember Python I wrote as a windowed based program to put on any computer in the network so it's not running on top of my Linux server but when you create a function in Python, that's, I don't know if this is standard or not, because like I said, I'm just kind of digging in, but the mount functions I was taught by this gentleman how to write them was, it's at the very top. So what happens is, your windowed, all your window commands are down at the bottom. Think of those as CSS, like on a web page. But these are building your window, your frame, your button, you know, uh, any labels in there, text boxes, anything you want is kind of at the bottom. You build the function at the top, and then what happens is when you create a button, you're making a command. The command equals, and you're using Lambda, L-A-M-D-A. What Lambda does is it executes every time you press that button. Now, I don't know why that has to be there exactly, but from what I understand is if I just put in there command uh, equals mount function socket, it's going to go back to the top of the code. That's the only variation where the code's not reading straight through. It's like when we programmed in Visual Basic and you would do a go to statement, you know, go to this subset or this, uh, uh, this, this sub uh, section and run that code. Think of that as this uh, function, this this building this function. So once you learn those couple steps, it was so easy for me to understand and pick up. Now, there is a ton of different calls you can make in Python like any other language. There is uh, tons and tons and tons of uh, definitions uh, or uh, uh, yeah, the, what am I thinking? I'm not definitions, but framework. There's tons of framework you can import. Uh, the one that builds the windows is called T-K-I-N-T-E-R. So T-Kinter uh, is the one that actually uh, builds the window frames and stuff for you to do all that. So uh, so does it sound like I'm excited? I am blown away. I was taking pictures the other day at work and sending them to my wife, and she's like, 
what the hell is that? And I said, that's my Python program running. There's the code. There's the little application I just wrote. Uh, and I wrote a little weather application that is absolutely uh, just just cool. It's just really, really cool. And if my page, I think on my page, and if I can do this, uh, what I'm going to do with the weather application is um, it actually, that was the lesson I took. The guy taught you how to program. And he, he programmed the weather application. Um, but I was saying I was going to put it in my downloads, but I don't think I'm going to do that. And the reason is, is because you have to sign up for a weather, a free weather account with this open source weather program and get your own API. I don't want to give out my API code uh, because I'm using it to program different uh, little bit of ideas I have. So, but uh, check that out. I'll see if I can put the code up. If I can put the code up without my APIs and what I'll do is I'll comment in there where the codes go and you can actually go and sign up. I'll put a link in there where the web page is for the weather. So if you want to play around with this thing, it's a fully operational program. The only thing you have to do is get your own weather API. Uh, and it's free, so it's not easy. Not, not it's not easy. It's not hard to do. All right, folks, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, I am very excited about what I've been working with, what I've been working on. Great opportunities for the Python language. Uh, great opportunities for Perl language. Uh, I would say if you're learning Python, even though that guy said on there that programming in VS Code is not real programming. Being everything works in VS Code, I just pulled on my Mac this morning. Uh, I'm going to write in there now and not subline text that I use for PHP. I can also write PHP in VS Code. So I guess if I'm going to learn uh, learn a platform or an IDE, it's probably going to be VS Code. I just think it works better with all the calls and that you're doing with uh, your different coding languages. So, All right, I didn't want to get this too drug out. I didn't want to make it too boring for you. Hopefully it was uh, exciting enough and you can hear my uh, my excitement. I love doing this stuff. Somebody said the other day, coding is boring, but you love it. Yes, I do. I truly love it. I've been doing it for years and I think I could probably make a career out of it. Uh, just simply writing programs for companies, whatever they need done, figure out how to do it, what the best language is to use to do it in and build it for them and, and, and then support it forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, I am going to pull up my notes here so I don't forget the ending here. Let's see. All right. Remember, again, if you buy anything from Amazon, if you go out there and you buy uh, the uh, the access points or anything else you pick up from Amazon, before you even go and start putting things in your cart, go to tipsfromtheserverroom.com, click on that link, uh, the Amazon link, and then purchase your stuff on Amazon. I truly appreciate it. It truly helps out here. I have a few more things I want to purchase uh, around here and talk about. So I think, uh, uh, <laughs> I guess so many windows open here. I'm trying to use one monitor because my other monitor is actually dying. So see, that's one thing I need from Amazon is a secondary monitor for the setup here. Or maybe even a third would be even better. But all right. Take care, everybody, and hopefully I'll be back to you next week once again with another show. We can talk a little bit more about what's going on at work, and I'll tell you about another big programming project I've been working on, some scripting that I had to do uh, that was uh, very important to uh, to my role. So, all right, take care, everybody. I'll talk to you next time. Remember, uh, thanks for listening. Keep those servers running, and get out there and do a little programming. And keep those editors editing, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Take care.
you just listened to Tips from the Server Room with your host, Jack. If you have any questions, please drop me a comment at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. Thanks again for tuning in and downloading the shows. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the remainder of the music. We'll see you next week on Tips from the Server Room. So long. <laughs>